Triathlon Show 342. Everybody, welcome back to another episode of That Triathlon Show, the podcast presented by scientifictriathlon.com. I'm your host Michael, and on today's episode, I interview Rito Brandly. Rito is a Swiss triathlon and cycling coach working with professional and amateur athletes. He also runs the Performance Lab Training and Diagnostics, and uh, we will talk a lot about the different tests that uh, he uses with his athletes and how he recommends applying test results in training and so on. But we will also talk a lot about his uh, general coaching and training philosophy, if you want to call it that. We'll get right into the interview after thanking our sponsors. First, we have Precision Fuel and Hydration that create hydration and nutrition products for endurance sports. Big news today, as uh, the 13th of June, which is the release date of this episode, is also the launch date of the new PF30 Caffeine Gel, which contains 30 grams of carbohydrate and 100 milligrams of caffeine, which is a big difference compared to most caffeine gels on the market that contain significantly less caffeine than that. But Precision Fuel and Hydration have designed a gel so that one dose can actually make uh, a difference although of course you might be using two or more caffeine gels depending on things like race distance your tolerance to caffeine and more but generally speaking you want to be aiming for three to six milligrams per kilogram body weight uh, to see the performance benefits of caffeine and that becomes a lot easier when you have uh, a decent amount of caffeine in one gel there will be a lot of content about caffeine dropping on their website today and over the next few days so if you want to learn more about the science of caffeine and endurance performance check that out and if you want to get 15% off your first order of electrolyte and energy products use the promo code TTS22 at checkout on precisionfuelandhydration.com and thank you to Zenate. The Zenate Indoor Swim Trainer is a swim training tool that you can use at home that allows you to improve your technique, work on power and stamina, and save time and stay consistent. Uh, consistency is one of the key things of the Zenate Swim Trainer because sometimes you just don't have time to commute to the pool, uh, get changed before and after, and commute back. It's just good to have that time efficient way that uh, you can use as a complement to your pool or open water swimming which you can do at home in very little time in addition the sunny swim trainer allows you to do things like swim bike brick workouts and you can also work on technical aspects including core activation and streamline with the help of the built-in instability element of the swim bench it does not take up a lot of space and it is very affordable and even more so with a 20 percent discount code that you can get on zenateswimtrainer.com forward slash tt Yes. It is also a risk-free investment. If you don't love it after two weeks of using it, send it back and you can get a full refund. Now, without any further ado, here's the interview with Reto Brandley. Welcome to that triathlon show, Reto. How are you doing? Hey, hi, Michael. How are you doing? Thank you so much for having me today. Uh, it's, it's my pleasure. Let's start with uh, an introduction. Can you tell the audience uh, who you are and uh, what your background is in endurance sports? Yeah, sure. My name is uh, Reto Brandley. Um, I live at the Lake of Zurich. I do have twins at the age of four, so a girl and a boy. And um, I do work for training and diagnostics. This is a performance testing center uh, in Zurich, Switzerland. So um, at Training Diagnostics, we do performance tests for athletes uh, from the field of triathlon, such as example, Florian Ongert or Jan van Berkel. 
but uh, we also have a lot of soccer, ice hockey players, track and field athletes, cyclists, mountain bikers, and so on. But of course, the, the main target group, we have a lot of just normal people who want to have uh, data for their daily workouts. And um, since, since we have a DEXA scanner, uh, we do have a lot of clients who are just interested in having uh, body composition data. And um, beside that, we do offer some special training methods, such as uh, blood flow restriction, as an example. And if, if I remember right, I think you had this as a, as a topic on your show, right, in, in the past. Yeah, a couple of times, uh, a couple of interviews on that topic. Cool, yeah. cool. So, um, yeah, and um, last but not least, we do, we do coaching, uh, mainly for triathletes and cyclists, which I am, beside of some other things, if you're running a small company, I'm, I'm responsible for. Um, briefly about myself, uh, my first contact with sports was within cycling at the age of I was roughly 13 years and I went all the way up from being a junior to an elite rider, uh, which one year at the pro level. But um, unfortunately, I was not very successful, to be honest, at pro level. So normally when the TV cameras went on, I was on my way in the group beta. The group beta is always the last group in the race. And um, (laughs) since this was not good fun, I decided then to go back to study and work. But um, uh, yeah, even after leaving the world of elite sport, it was still for me very, or I was still very close uh, to it because um, my sister, she was a, also a pro cyclist, but she was far four more successful than I was. She's a three times um, Giro d'Italia, so Tour of Italy uh, winner. She was second at Tour de France, uh, Swiss road champion, TT champion, three time Olympian, and so on. Uh, my brother-in-law is um, working for a new CI World Pro Cycling team as a sport director. And um, my girlfriend back then, now she's my wife. She was a pro athlete racing for the German adding a team. And um, she retired 2015. She won, I think, two, two Ironmans and several 70.3 races. And if I'm not completely wrong, um, she's still under the top three fastest Swiss long-distance female athletes. So... You see, I, I could really not escape the, the world of high-performance sports then. Um, yeah, I've then met more or less by coincidence uh, Olivier Bernhardt. So younger generation know him probably as one of the founders of the On Running Shoes. But uh, back then, in the days when, when duathlon, especially the world championships in Zofingen in, in, in were really big, he won them three times and he was a five-time Ironman Switzerland champion. So back then, he has just finished his career and was in progress to build up his own company and uh, coaching company, and he was asking me to join. And this, of course, was a great opportunity for me to learn um, from one of the best in our region. And by then, he was coaching and advising all the young Swiss triathlon stars, such as Ronnie Schilknecht and Rudi Wild, Matthias Hecht. So I I could really learn them out of first hand. And then his um, work with, with on running shoes went bigger and bigger. So he decided to focus only on, on the running shoe business. So I moved uh, on and joined the young company Training Diagnostics back then, which was a spin-off of the Swiss Federal Institute of Technology in Zurich. And um, yeah, so here we are. <laughs> 
Yeah. And uh, just to set the context of, especially in particular, your coaching, uh, you coach a few uh, a few pro athletes. You coach a pro and age group athletes, but a few pros that I've, I'm sure the listeners have heard of. So can you can you tell us who you're working with at the moment? Mm-hmm. Sure. I, I do coach about uh, 10 age group athletes. And um, within the pros, there are two female um, from the HEP. Uh, German team. One is um, Anne Reichmann and the other one is Imogen Simmons. Then I do have a um, junior national athlete. So we're working there very close with the, with the Swiss national team together. A male pro, Fabian Dutli. He came all the way up from being an age grouper. Now he's a very solid uh, 70.3 racer and um, he's doing his first Ironman this year. And in a couple of weeks, um, Swedish Swedish athlete um, Rasmus Wenningsen will join our our squad here. So. Oh, that's exciting! Rasmus is a is a good friend of mine. Oh, okay, well, <laughs> I, I, <laughs> excellent. I'm I'm sure he will listen to this as well. Uh, um, I hope so. <laughs> yeah. So um, let's start with the first question, which is probably the most difficult one, <laughs> which is how would you describe your coaching and your approach to triathlon training? Mm-hmm. Um, maybe we can can split that a little bit into pro and, and age groupers, if this is okay for you. Um, okay, yep. So pros are very much data and process orientated, but I would say with the target to develop uh, the athlete and so support him to learn to listen to the signals of his body and take over also responsibility. And of course, this depends um, where the athlete is in, in his career with his physiology, but also how his post looks like, saying that meaning the age uh, he's in, sport background, years within triathlon on, on, on top level, and of course how his training was built up um, to this level. So with the pros, then I'll try to, to find the right amount of training that is close to the limit, since we're talking about um, pro sports, of course, but also considering how much of, of the training or, or the impact is really necessary to reach the, the performance build up so I, I do look for maximal adaptation possible per per cyclos or per phase which we will may, maybe later talk a little bit but it's I think it's not always about just train as much as possible or as hard as possible uh, just to be to be uh, very specific or try to be very specific and um since we work with different systems uh, such as cardiovascular, muscular, neuronal system, I have to f- we have to find the limit factor of the athletes and what is really important for him to do um, the next step within cardiovascular or muscular systems. Um, this is how I would describe the approach for pros and for the age grouper. I mean, the focus there is on, on what is really important important so i try to keep things as simple as possible also learn them to listen to the signals of of their body and just to do smart decisions so i'll i do take i do take the the workload from job from family life and other requests very seriously so and we have to find a smart way to combine it and also i mean for the age group, but also for the pros, it's so important just to stay healthy and, and have fun by what they're doing. Um, yeah, consistency is important for them, of course. And um, talking about consistency, 
sometimes I do I do shorten I, I do cut or shorten uh, sessions in the short term just to make sure they can stay consistent in the long long term and really try to avoid the big um, yo 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 effect. Mm, yeah, that, that um, makes a lot of sense. A, a couple of follow up questions then. Firstly, on the on the pro side, when you mentioned that, yeah, you you, you are looking for kind of the maximum, um, trying to find find the, the maximum <laughs> maximum amount of trade or the maximum stimulus for the pros. How do you, what are your methods for doing that, but without going too far? Do, what, what what are the things that you're looking at to to find that maximum? Mm-hmm. I mean, relationship getting better and better as more time we can spend together or the more um, seasons we work together. Uh, as I mentioned that in at the, at the, at the start, we, we have a lot of data, so we're looking at it, and then it's about the feedback about the session. And yeah, then creating this metric of see how how they react on the, on the training, how their feedback is, how their data change. And then starting from from this point on, just to building it up to ad- adapt it maybe a little bit on the left on the right hand side, and then just go step by step forward. But to, to be very honest, it's nothing you can really plan from day to day. It's it's always looking at the, at the big picture. Then, yeah. Do, do you have any specific? Uh, I mean. The feedback is very easy to understand and and a very important part obviously are there any um objective uh, metrics or points of data that you're that you consider important or is it more just looking at everything and combining it into the big picture um i think i i do work with this matrix um the data coming from the lab data coming from the field and the feedback of the athletes and those three things they have to correlate. Um, not not like every day and in, in every session, but for if, uh, several sessions, just one one feedback of those three is wrong. I have to go deeper into it and just make sure that that it really correlates. So this is always a signal for me if if this this matrix is not working anymore. We have to be. I have to be more more uh, specific and pay much more time with to one topic with them. Yeah. And uh, the other follow-up on the uh, pro training that you described, you talked about finding uh, the limiters of the different systems that you're working with. And uh, you mentioned the cardiovascular system or muscular system. So can you talk a bit more about what is your approach for doing that? Is it it very lab-based or do you also include field data and field testing or just the general workout yeah how, how do you find the limiters yeah i mean the limiter is is a is a is a mix of the data we are coming out of the lab but we'll probably talk about that later a little bit so we have very proper data and but then again i mean i have to look how the data is looking from the field and those are i mean those are common data like like power HR um, and, and heart rate. Um, we're doing, um, of course, resting heart rate, HRV data, um, one-to-one feedback of the athletes. Very, very important uh, for me. This is probably more or less on the cardiovascular side. Um, sometimes we're using uh, Moxie as well. 
and um, from when it comes more to the muscular side of the athlete, which which may could be be a limited factor of them. Um, yeah, I really like to work within a team approach. So talking to the, to the physiotherapists or the, or the muscles or to the directly feedback of the athlete, uh, maybe talk to other people who are involved in the team. So um, yeah, really build up the team around the pro and not just uh, doing all by myself because I think things getting more and more complicated and we have experts and I try to bring the best people around us into the team. And then it's really being connected with all those um, those um, stakeholders. Yeah. Do, do you have, a, can you share an example and you don't have to name any names if you don't want to, but where you have had a clear example of, okay, you find that an athlete has a specific limiter and then how, how did you find that? And then what were the steps that you took to address that? Um, yeah. I mean, we could maybe take it as example within the strength. So I'm, um, I'm, um, hired a, a, a coach a specific um, um, strength coach from 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 the UK and we just you know, he did just huge uh, time of assessment and really worked out the, the weak parts of the athletes so we could understand why maybe something then in biking or in running is not really working on the muscular side or also on the on, on the neuronal side as we as we thought it should be. And then we went to into specific, um, well, we found first the reason, and then we went into specific um, um, drills for that in specific uh, movements, uh, specific strengthening. And um, my job then is to understand how I can combine it in the whole whole weekly structure of, of the athlete. And from then on, we're just working in, in this team approach, you know, um, getting the feedback of the athlete, combine it with the feedback of the strength coach and just summarize it all on my side and going into the, the next weeks or in the next um, phases. This will be like yeah. typical, typical uh, example for that. Great, yeah. Uh, and, uh, and then going over to the amateur side of things, so you mentioned that the most important thing probably there is to find that consistency and and uh, the that's the stress from uh, taking into account the stress from other factors as well other than than just training and and how yeah that is one of the key things um how can can you specifically discuss a little bit around how that load from having a job having family and so on how how, how does that in practice impact how much amateurs are able to train how hard they're able to train um mm -hmm. can, can you talk more specifically about that mm -hmm. um well, what I do with my age group is I'm I'm using a I, I call it like a bottom bottom up approach, meaning um, on the age group side they send me on a weekly basis they send me a, a schedule with the max maximum training capabilities, and then uh, normally um, I have very detailed information how their weekly structure looks like and uh, they tell me if they have some some time splits in the morning, lunchtime, evening. Sometimes I know very specific, let's say Monday, I have one hour over lunchtime, I'm staying in the city. So I know exactly what I can do and what I not can do. And um, yeah, I mean, since, since the recovery time is the limited factor and the most here have demanding jobs with 45 to 50 hours of work, I really have to balance carefully. 
uh, with the training, there are other commitments. So as an example, when they travel somewhere, I normally know when their flight times are, where they're staying overnight, how the hotel facility looks like. So I, I want to be as specific uh, as, I, as we can get. And then, of course, normally I'm not using 100% of the training um, capabilities. So my, my experience is that, uh, that the most of the age group athletes overestimate themselves. But I'll, I'll take this into account when it comes to planning. And um, yeah, I'm then trying just to work as consistent as possible um, and add the recovery um, days or the recovery weeks based around their fam family and business demands. And um, I think from my experiences, it's just the best way with, with working with the age groupers. And then to be honest, being very, very specific, um, going going towards the, the A races and just focus on the steak and uh, leave the vegetables on the table. So that's how I would describe it. Mm, yeah, it, that's really interesting. And, and you mentioned there one of the things that I was very curious about, whether you leave some of the time that they might say they have available unused which well you say that you did and uh, yeah that makes makes a lot of sense do you when you ask for their schedules does that schedule also include you know sleep time and time to eat and so on so that you can <laughs> know in advance that okay they are they're not sleeping five hours a night and they they don't skip meals just to get in the hours of training that they want to be getting in yeah i mean now now you're really hitting the target right i mean this is this is the big problem we're facing i mean i know normally i see it in the past so <laughs> when you look at at the at the um at their diary uh, to be honest some of them they track the sleep and some they they don't and i cannot really i mean i, ask, I tell them please add sleep but just you have to face sometime reality they don't want to even add this to this to the to the diary but it also depends from athlete to athlete but i wish i could also track also those kind of information as you just mentioned like food quality food timing and um, recovery of course but uh, reality looks looks different to be honest yeah yeah what what about let's let's say you have somebody who is very busy with with work and family and they have um, I don't know, 10, 10 hours per week to train perhaps, and but they want to be doing half or full distance uh, triathlons. How do you, if we yeah, discuss specifically around those long distances, how, how would you, what are some approaches that you take to, uh, to coaching age groupers that are time crunched for long distance races? Mm -hmm. So when you talk about long distance triathlon or long distance races, um, I look first always at the strength and weakness profile of the athlete. So what what is important for the race and what he has already on board. And then, um, yeah, I'm just going through different phases. Normally, those are like four phases. It's, it's nothing special. So we do a lot of first phase, do a lot of technique and um, technical skills and, and um building the aerobic um, uh, base um, second phase I would work with him probably more on intensity but to be honest I mean if we're talking about having a, a weekly uh, volume of eight to ten weeks I'm probably 
um, more careful with with a lot of VO two max sessions, a lot of high intensity, just because they are limited in recovery. So I'm very careful that. Then I will probably go very very specific to to the strength part, of course. So just build up some specific strength. Of course, this is not not a strength training itself, but I will call it like a strength oriented approach. Um, so you're so you're talking, uh, for example. Uh, locators work on the bike hills on the run is that is that what you absolutely prefer? absolutely work with high torque and um doing that normally normally this is just this is a very important thing talking about long distance having this power right and uh, it's, it's exactly what you said working on those classical things but um being specific uh with the data and the sets and then uh, this is probably the biggest phase then for for an age group athletes, and then the last the last set I will probably spend much time on specific race pacing with some threshold sets, being very early and specific with race nutrition, being also very specific with material we're using, uh, just make sure that they're comfortable and they're not using it for the first time at the race, and then. Just general saying, using the capacity we worked up in in the last couple of weeks and and, and months, and um, uh, just I mean this was now very easy and briefly, but just focus on what is really important. And of course, this is now theory. So in in reality, normally um, it looks different. We have to be a little bit more flexible. Uh, um, but um, yeah, I mean things are really not going as planned. So sometimes we have to mix a little a little bit. But I will go through those main four phases uh, for a for a um, age group um, athlete within eight to ten hours but again mm. for me very important we have to look at the strength and the weakness profile of the, of the athlete yeah and and do you like to get the strength and the weakness profile uh we'll talk about this a bit later but but would you like all of your age groupers to do some lab testing or can you get some of the most important things even with just field testing mm-hmm. well i mean yeah, I, I like to have uh, lab testings, of course. I mean, that's where, where we're working and that's where we're coming from. But to be honest, I mean, sometimes it's just not possible for what kind of reasons ever. So we have to use different different um, different ways to, to find the right, the right uh, zones. And I mean, I understand if people not want to spend money on that. So um, then we'll probably do some specific um, outdoor or indoor testings. Um, I'm I'm not so, such a big fan from FTP stuff and all those kind of testings. Um, I will probably do a little bit a different approach, but the main problem is with, with all the approaches that we never see the metabolic profile of the athlete. And if we only have like eight to 10 hours for an age group, I think the metabolic profile is one of the most important tools to work with. But if we don't have it, I would probably do, you, you mentioned for a different approach. I mean, we, we can do outdoor testings, having a specific um, uh, loop and see how we improve on powers and, and heart rate and, and times and numbers. But I will probably use a um, calculation from your um, heart rate segment. Um, give you an example on that, and it's working only with heart rate. So I'll, you, you take your maximum heart rate, so let's say 170, and you take your resting heart rate, 170. It doesn't matter if we talk about bike and, and run now. 
and then you sub subtract the, the maximum heart rate from uh, oh you excuse me you subtract the resting heart rate from your maximum heart rate and this gives the heart rate segment and from there you calculate your aerobic zones and your threshold zones um and i like this if if we cannot measure in the lab i i like this approach better than fdp test mm, yeah heart, heart rate reserve in english uh is the, the term heart, I believe. yeah and, yeah exactly yeah and yeah um we'll get back to the testing and and so on a bit later in this interview but mm -hmm. uh for now let's move on to discussing some specifics around the different disciplines so can you share one or two key fundamentals of your training process within first swimming mm -hmm. i mean beside now the phases we are in um for the i probably also have to split now the pros and the age groupers a bit to be fair but with mm -hmm. the, with the pros i mean they normally swim five to six times a week um i do force them to swim also short medley sets just just to learn the skills in, in, in if, if they don't have the skills we'll learn it in the winter on the off season just to be a complete swimmer then when it when it comes to intensity and duration is increasing this also have the reason in uh, maximal adaptation um, possible then later. I do look a lot at technique efficiency, even when when we're getting closer to the races. I mean, I mean, since they're swimming five times, five to six k's, there is always always some even easy just easy short sets to focus on technique. Um, I look always for one to week sessions for the pro that they can swim within a stronger group, especially for um, the, the hard sessions. Um, group should be not too strong, of course, but just that they're a good challenged. And then normally we have always like one once a week, a longer set, maybe start in um, December, January, 400 meters, and then going up all the way up to 1K and do that several times depending on the season and probably the most important is um for me it's important to start open water as soon as possible same for the age grouper so just use very early in the season to use your wetsuit learn to navigate because i mean yeah normally you don't race in the pool and um, you have to learn those skills and um, this is very important and here in switzerland we have so many lakes and uh Normally we can start early May with, with the open water sets. So this is important for the for the pros. Uh, with the age groupers, if they can do like three sessions, I'm very happy. <laughs> Reality is more like two sessions a week. And um, depending on their swim skills, um, a little bit more or less technique. But when they do technique, for me, it's important that uh, they can swim, swim in a group where they get feedback from somebody uh, on 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 deck um just having a, a coach or a triathlon coach or a swim coach and they can also give them feedback about what they're doing because it's good if you give them the drills but it's it's very difficult to get any feedback on those kind of drills so i think this is very important also for them to swim once or better two times a week in a group and then if possible i would add one more specific set especially on the needs of the athlete per week for the age groupers yeah that's perfect and uh, let's uh, take the same kind of approach to uh, your 
bike training principles? Um, for the bike principle, um, also, I mean, volume counts for me. So oxygen consumption is important. Uh, we do we do longer rides, like four and a half, five hours, but always looking for quality also within the five hours. So we try to avoid the, the junk miles. Um, when we do long ones and easy ones, we we look at efficiency work. So always add some high cadence, low cadence work, single leg drills, short sprints uh, to basic endurance session and, and, and just with the target to improve their, their um, power transfer and be more efficient when, when it comes later into the season. Um, yeah, since the most of the athletes live here in Switzerland, we work in general a lot of uphill and then transfer it later um, um, into flat or hilly areas within specific race um, zones. And one, one, one point which is really important for me is that my athletes work on their downhill skills. So they have a good technique in races for cornering, for roundabouts, etc. So I think this is so important. I mean, I have a cycling background, but if you sometimes look how people uh, handle their bikes in triathlon, um, um, it's really a nightmare. And it's easy to talk about error, error, and error, but yeah, you, you need those basic uh, skills on the bike. And that's why I love to force them to do technique in the winter. So we do gravel, mountain biking, and, and then same for the age group. We do a lot, I mean, yeah, we do a lot of VO2 sessions in, in the second phase, especially with the pros. But there I really love to work with a um, block approach. So we do normally a lot of VO2 max session um, in the winter time and combine it with with um, low intensity training, but the overall volume then is, is, is much lower because it's such a big workload when they do VO2 sets, sometimes two sets a day. And um, yeah, then later later in the year, getting closer to the races, we work a lot on specific um, pacing, 70.3 Ironman pacing within within race, race position, um, within specific nutrition. Um, that's what we do or what I do with the pros and, and with the age groupers. Uh, I, again, we mentioned that before the, the limiter is the recovery, but also the volume. So I always like to find a solution where we combine bike rides with the way to work or maybe with some family requests on the weekend. So if, if you have a good relationship and they tell you about family and job situation, you know what you can maybe implement in a smart way. Um, so we have in the morning like like a free uh, free lunch ride to 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 your job and in the evening back, and then you have two hours and um, you can combine it with with the the way to work. Um, we have two sets for the age groupers. Yes, if they have enough time to recover. If they have enough time for sleep and, and proper uh, nutrition, as you, as you mentioned earlier, and um, again, for them, even more important, looking closely to the strength and weakness profile on, on the bike. And then normally talking about the age group or long distance, it's all about being stable on fat oxidation and have good power power data. So that's what, what important. what's the most important normally for the age groupers. 
Yeah, that's uh, there's a lot of great information there and uh, great great advice. Uh, a couple of follow up questions. Firstly, on the terrain you mentioned there in Switzerland, you have the opportunity to do a lot of good uphill and downhill work. Um, when you then have pros that go or or age groupers that go and race maybe a flatter Ironman or Sim three or something. How do you do you in Switzerland have a good opportunity to actually practice those kind of courses, or or how would you how would you train specifically for a course that is flat if if the terrain is not available? Mm-hmm. I probably I would still prefer them a lot on uphill, um, and then just going within the last couple of weeks into flat. Um, areas but i mean to be honest switzerland not only have hills huh? we also have like flat parts but not maybe as much as in sweden or in portugal or spain but i mean we have the flat parts and, and we can ride them so then of course we're using them but always try to get the power in the mountains and then in the flat flat uh, roads just staying for maybe two or three weeks uh, before the race is coming up or before they're traveling to the races so I would still then focus much on, on uphill yeah. work. And within that uphill work, uh, how how do you incorporate it in the training? Like, would you, for example, tell an athlete that, okay, you have a four-hour ride today, just go out and ride in the mountains, uphill, downhill, without without saying very specifically about power targets or what have you? Or would you be more specific that, yeah, go go up uh, the climbs in zone three or in zone two or wherever you want to do. How, how does that work for you? Yeah, now I try to be very specific on that. So I tell them how long, um, how long and exactly the zones I want to see them in. Uh, normally, again, with this correlation of power, heart rate, and also should combine with the feeling of the athlete. And, um, I mean, Switzerland is not that big, to be honest. Sometimes if I know where they live, I tell them exactly which climbs I want I want them to see. <laughs> so um, this is sometimes I can do that. Yeah, so I, I tell them exactly which 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 way they have to drive. And sometimes they do it and sometimes not. But uh, since I have a background in cycling, yeah, I know the climbs here. And um, so I tell them. I also know which climbs are good for, for early early um, sessions uphill and then maybe later on. And then you have to know, are the mountains open because of snow? They're still closed. So I try to be specific as possible and the most of them appreciate. And if I know that they don't appreciate, I'm not going to tell them. Uh, then they make their own decisions. But I'm normally very specific with target zones and uh, duration of, of the and, climbs. And is that yeah. when with the target zones, uh, would it be a lot of, yeah, you know, keeping it aerobic in in zone two, for example. And if that is the case, um, is there a difference between when you coached your females versus your males? Because obviously the power is very different, and maybe for the females sometimes it's uh, it's difficult to go uh, to keep it strictly aerobic when when the climbs are steep and so on. So, can you talk about that a bit? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I know what you're meaning. I mean, yeah, it's different with with the with the men and and the girls, but also here, I think it all comes to um, the, um, the, the the specific weak and strength and strength profile of the athletes. So, my pro girls right now they are very like strong bikers, so they have a lot of power. Uh, they have very strong 
on uphill biking they have really big numbers that they can push and um yeah i mean i'm i'm really impressed seeing those numbers so to be honest for those girls it's not a real big difference but when you talk about um, the age group girls then of course you have to adapt the zones and um um again then you see the the weakness of of, of their maybe of their body composition and then you have to adapt it of course and be even they're more specific yeah yeah is, is there do you think that sometimes you mentioned uh, uh, as the limiter example some work on strength do you see that uh, sometimes the, the the just the muscle mass can be a limiter uh for people in general but maybe for the women in particular uh to building power on the bike mm -hmm. yeah i mean yeah especially we can see that from from the muscle mass and um especially as you mentioned for the female athletes and that's why i always really i mean for me it's important to very important to have a strength training of course again depending on on the body composition but strength training is so just so important for for several reasons one is building the fatigue resistance um as you mentioned increasing the muscle mass mainly for women but sometimes also for male maybe they have a running background and you just see that they, they struggle with their strength on the bike so we have to do that with strength training and not with in, endurance approach uh, strength training it's also important but to make the difference you have to work really focused on strength if, if it's a weak point and then also just to improve basic athletes level and specific um and firing patterns um but again um individuality is, is very important and um what we what we do here is we we check then the progress with DEXA scan and we we see exactly how how the muscle mass or the lean body mass in the legs um have improved and also we're looking at uh muscular disbalances left uh, leg right leg before you talk about paddle smoothness you should go one step back and see are the muscles in the legs build it up the same way and if not we're going to do it in the in in the gym right and then we're doing the next step so yeah this is very important for me and, and, mm. yeah, and then the other follow-up question on biking uh, that was actually several already but one more that i have is around the, <laughs> the vo2 max intervals do you have um a preference around what type of vo2 max work you give athletes because there are several different schools of thought on that longer mm -hmm. intervals sh uh, shorter intervals with short rests or fast start intervals uh, lots of different options do, do you have any any thoughts on that mm -hmm. starting harder and then easy and maybe a little bit easier so there's so many so many interesting so many interesting sets but i, I really love to to mix them so start with shorter and higher numbers and then going a little bit longer but again it depends a little bit on where we going so let's take an example the the junior from the swiss national team i mean they're like the really short and high sessions are important and with other athletes maybe also have a little bit of different um, body composition or muscle fiber types um i tend maybe also to do a little bit longer longer sets and not only the, the really short ones where they need so much time then to recover and especially again that the age group but i just don't then 
they, they struggle really to, to recover. They can't sleep the whole night. So it, it makes no sense then just to do those in, intensive, very, very intensive VO2 sessions. So I'm, I'm careful. And, and what does long mean here when we talk about long? Is it three minutes or six minutes or what What are we talking about? No, up to, up to, up okay. to four minutes. Up yep. to four minutes. Um, and uh, then running, uh, if you can share your, your principles around running. Well, in, in running, um, even for the pros, I'm, 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 I'm careful with volume and intensity. Again, I mean, it, it depends on, on the running skills of, of, of the athlete, but I think quality is more important than quantity. So um, I do look a lot for motoric skills, running technique and, and the good of running economy. Um, so we do a lot of, of, of one-to-one coaching, video exchanging videos and just looking for small things such as um, cadence, vertical oscillation, stability, stability, etc. And in the target, at the end, the target is just to be safe energy and be more, more efficient on, on the long distance um, races. So we do a lot beside that. We do a lot, again, of uphill run and then also do trail runs a lot just to reduce the impact on, on, the, on the structure side. Saying that, building the volume up carefully, maybe start with double runs before we do long runs. But to be honest, long runs are never longer than two hours, maybe two, 10-ish, but never longer than that. And even if we do like a long run, we'll probably also just make a few stops and maybe add one or two minute drills and just make sure that, that we are a very good technical level when they restart. Um, track sets, to be honest, not so much. I, I love to have them short and fast, but not too much just because of, um, again, injury cases. And um, I, I like to add a lot of um, barefoot running on, on grass to strengthen the foot and the foot and get the direct feeling for the ground contact and then going on the track and do or onto the road and do uh, the fast stuff. But again, we're not doing that many track sessions and with the pros and then for the age group, it's even worse talking about the injuries, injuries coming from running. So again, I would just say just as much as needed, focus on what is important, efficiency, be very careful with super fast sessions on the track. Prefer also to have them running uphill, then transfer it into flat or hilly uh, areas. And for the edge group, it's also just learn them to run controlled with different speed. And this, this is important just to stay within a controlled zone and not, not just humbling them with the technique. And then, uh, yeah, we see the damage after a few weeks and start again by zero hmm. uh, on on the volume uh, for your pros for example what would be a typical weekly running running volume like a typical one maybe 55 to 65 case a week so this is not very much but to be honest if, if, if one I have one athlete, he has an excellent um, running technique and he's very light and uh, very stable. So then we're also facing maybe two weeks where we're going close to 90, maybe also 100K, but this is then really 
exceptional. So we're not doing that very often. Just be again very careful on the on the volume side. Yeah, yeah, and uh, and yeah, and 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 then in terms of the the faster work, the quality sessions, if you want to call it that, uh, it sounded like. Can you correct me if I'm wrong? Y- you do some uh, well, maybe some some fast fast stuff and then build up to short and fast intervals but do you do a lot of like threshold work or tempo work or not so much yes more like i mean in this in this second phase as we mentioned where we focus a lot on vo2 building up the the breathing patterns and all that uh, we're doing a lot of short and fast stuff but then probably we're doing more on on the treadmill um to have a safe environment and um, then later as you mentioned more around threshold also on different grounds um, and not always on the track with the same angle so just again i'm careful with that i'm i mean those those guys are triathletes and not not pure runners so um, i just i want to try to avoid the injuries and um, there are other possibilities to make them first in running i think but the short, the short sessions. Sometimes we, we do them on yeah. the track. Yeah, the really short. Well, what's your take on the cr- general crossover effect? Like how the general fitness of swimming and biking can help any athlete with also being being better at running. I mean, obviously there is a crossover effect, but uh, do you think that it's a, a very strong one or kind of moderate or small? What's your take on that? That's a, it's a, it's a good question. Uh, the answer would be probably it depends on. <laughs> I think there is a crossover effect, and if you have a kind of a body composition who fits more to a runner, you benefit more from the crossover. And if you if you if you don't have that, if you just struggle a lot with economics in in running and technique, you're probably not gonna. Um, um join this crossover effect uh, so that's as 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 the other guys so that's what my impression is and what i get from from as a feedback mm. from the athletes yeah that, that that makes sense and uh then let's discuss strength training you you mentioned that you do use it and consider it very important can you talk some specifics around how how you implement it yeah i mean normally to be honest we, we're using it more or less over the whole season, but we again depends on 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 the strength and weakness profile of the athletes. We do work um, also through through different phases, and as closer as we get, uh, the more we start to reuse um, the, the the volume of the strength training. But if somebody is really really struggling let's say with muscular disbalances or with with strength female athletes we would um, stay for very long during those phases until very close to the race with um, specific um, strength training yeah um, and anything in particular that you do you have any preference in terms of uh, the uh, weight versus rep um kind of ratios that you're using or do you periodize that and build from something to something can you discuss that a bit yeah we 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 do it um as you mentioned we're going to build it up from one point to another one and then i mean it's it's not it's not it's not the idea that they 
increasing muscle mass. Uh, the aim is that they increase in power. So it always comes down to the point. I mean, if possible, we're going to check yeah, again with DEXA and see how our body composition reacts. But then it comes to the point where we have to make sure that that uh, the muscles can can transfer it to to the pedal or to the ground. So then, yeah, we, I really have to focus on that that um, their muscles are, are firing and 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 that we can transfer it and not it's not the target that they that they're increasing uh, the their muscle mass. And there, of course, it also, again, it depends on the muscle fiber type. So we have to learn how the athlete reacts on different uh, strength stimulus. And I mean, this is still, to be honest, this is still a, a big question mark to understand what is the right stimulus for the different kind of athletes in reality, combine it with, with a lot of endurance training. So this is still a, a, a huge challenge for I think for coaches, at least for me. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. And uh, if when the trend, the the target is really to to get that power to transfer, of course, to as you said, to to the bike or to the run uh, or the swim, then does exercise selection uh, become very critical for you? Like, for example, do you work with a lot of unilateral exercises, which might be more specific to the movement patterns of running and cycling or or do you think that well it doesn't have to be that specific you can still get the transfer in other ways no well absolutely agree on your, on your point try to be then as specific as as possible yeah absolutely and right. um i would also uh, love to work in the future I'm, I'm not too deep into it but with um eng measurement just also to see um nerve conductions i think this is very interesting when then it comes to the transfer um but um yeah still so much to do so so many interesting things and uh, uh yeah it's, it's so fascinating then to understand how everything fits together and how we can transfer the power into as you mentioned into the um, from the muscles to the ground or to the pedal yeah uh moving on to the next topic and question uh, which is around how to put everything together into a program uh can you discuss uh, how you balance load and recovery and how you balance volume and intensity just some some general principles for the overall program the holistic aspects of of how you put things together mm -hmm. um I mentioned that before for the for the for the age groupers just try to be as consistent as possible um, based on their on the on their possibilities with family and all that and um, sometimes we we do very very classical approach like staying three weeks um, or improving maybe a little bit on the volume depending on the different phase but Again, not having huge yo-yo effects, and then maybe doing an easier week, but also they are not going too deep uh, in terms of volume, but just take off uh, intensity. But again, here it's just so important to know what's coming up in in their business, in their job. If they have to travel, then maybe I would also not be very classic in three weeks workload and then one week off. I just try to combine that with with what's going 
uh, around their, their their lives, and um, also of course tracking very very carefully um, their their recovery or at least that they give me a feedback so I can I can build up the system around them. So I'm normally not using a standardized. Um, approach because everybody is so different with with their with their needs and uh, um, their possibilities within the age group and for the pros um there i mean maybe some people are surprised but yeah they do easy days they do even uh, rest days um i, th- I think it's, it's important that they have that and um Normally, it's not it's not planned in advance. Uh, it's, it's the same thing we talked before. If I see that they're getting too tired, that the feedback is not the one I want to see anymore, it's not that good as I want to see it, um, or if, let's say, the heart rate ratio to the power ratio is, is, um, is not right anymore, then we'll bring up uh, an easy day or even a rest day. So um, this is um, nothing, nothing bad, and it's it's an important part of even of the um, pro um, approach to have uh, easy days. Um, when we are in huge uh, blocks, normally I'm doing like every third or four days an easy day, and sometimes we're just staying for for seven to ten days, ten days on on, on a certain volume. So it's really different from athlete to athlete. Mm. And what about the balance between volume and intensity? Do you have uh, any sort of pattern that when, well, I guess it depends on the period, so you can elaborate on how, how you see fit. Yeah, very much on, on, on those periods. Again, in this, in this call it phase two or whatever, um, how we want to name it, um, there is so much intensity or so much, there's a lot of intensity uh, as I said, maybe two two times a day, like VO two sets. Uh, so there we have high high numbers of of intensity and maybe low numbers of of volume. And then we're gonna skip that again and gonna build it up for, from the other side. So there is really not not the general um, um, numbers I can I can yeah. give you on yeah. that. No, that's fine. Yeah. The the two a day VO two uh, that's a curious one. Is where does that come from? Is it something that uh, you've come up with, or did, does it come from your cycling background, or have you seen research on it? Yeah, both. Uh, we see it in we've done that in cycling, of course, a lot, and um, I, of course, would not do that with with um, age grouper, to be honest. So please don't don't do that as an age grouper, but with the pros, yeah. We have seen um, good improvements, having like two VO2 sets per day, let's say over over two or two, three days, and then maybe have another just very easy sessions between. And um, for um, um, athletes, you wanna you wanna um, improve the the breathing patterns and, and the VO2 max. We see quite good improvement there, but again, you have to be very careful with that and. Um, in close contact with the athletes in terms of recovery. Uh, nutrition has to be excellent and there should be no other um, impacts for the athletes. So he really can uh, do that uh, on a focused, in a focused environment. But yeah, in cycling, um, this is um, not uh, nothing new there. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Yeah. And, and when you do it with your pros, is it two a day of the same discipline, like two a day, 
a cycling VO2 or is it like a swim VO2 and then a bike VO2? It can be both. It can be both. Depends on where we want to put our um, targets on. Right. Yeah. yeah. But of course, we would never do like two running yeah. VO2 sets per yeah. day. Of course, this is, this is no good. Yeah. <laughs> Let's discuss testing and uh, diagnostics. So, um, and this is again maybe something where you can discuss pros and amateurs uh, separately if you if you want to. Um, first of all, what what are your well, what are the things that you you have mentioned them already? But a testing battery that you would do for maybe a pro athlete that that starts working with you, for example, when you want to know like you you want to have as much information as possible, what would the testing battery be? Um, testing battery, I mean, besides the, the, the talking and the analyzing the data and the past and all that, just in the lab, we would do like typically, um, we do DEXA scan for body composition. We do VO2 um, um, max or spiroergometry testing, maybe um, a ramp testing for specific VO2 max and um, classical testing or even just a, a how we call it, like a, um, endurance testing. So we're only looking at the data up to threshold um, and going not above, but have, have, a, have a different protocol just to be very specific on, on, on the low numbers and see how, how the data is looking like. And um, we would normally use like for that, like spiroergometry, lactate, um, moxie, as I said, moxie for... Um, isolates the muscle layer to measure SMO2 in, uh, in, in real time. Um, we do test them all on a cyclos, on a cyclos 2 as an ergometer. So that one is extremely accurate. So the pros, but even the age grouper can test on their own bikes. And since the most of them have uh, power meters, we look at the delta of the power meters. And um, it's very funny. In, in reality, we see that the most power, power meters are just not accurate for what kind of reasons ever. But then you give the athletes, of course, training zones in, 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 in power numbers and in heart rate numbers, which are correct coming from a cyclos too, um, which is a validated um, cyclos. And then they have like tw 10 or 20% delta on their power meter. So they have complete wrong numbers when they go into ex execution. Um, so we're always looking at the power meter and give them a protocol of the delta if there is one. Is it, is it progressive? Is, is it, is it uh, degressive? Or is it steady? And then uh, probably, I mean, not the mo mo maybe the most important, but we should just do HEC measurement I mean, this is so important to prevent um, irregularities um, to, to react at an early stage when something is conspicuous. So I think in a, in a, in a, in a good lab, you can combine it as always with, with um, spiroergometry. And then um, we also see that the whole um, heart things are, are in a good way. Um, this is just so important if you work with athletes. Mm, yeah, yeah. And uh, what about if you have an age grouper, let's say somebody who is local in Zurich that can come into your lab, and uh, would you do the would you do all the same tests with them if they if they have the well they they are local and they have the the funds to do the testing would 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 all the same things make sense for an age grouper as well? I mean, 
Yeah, I mean, there is nothing that would make no sense, but, you know, saying maybe maybe the MOXIE data, we, we use MOXIE data just to confirm the data we have in from Spiro ergometry, so maybe you leave the MOXIE beside, but but the rest from the setup is, is, pretty, is pretty similar as we're using for the pros, so there is not a big uh, difference in that, mm. yeah. How? What about testing in the different disciplines? So, so that, there you described the bike testing, but would you also want to do some treadmill testing for the run, or even swim testing? How, or how do you view? If not, how do you transfer some of the information to the other disciplines? Mm-hmm. Um, well, bike and running, as you as you mentioned, um, probably this is something you can kind of combine it if and i think it's important if the athlete does not have a specific background within running or biking so then you can kind of estimate the numbers from a bike test to a to a, to the run data but um yeah you, you have to be a little bit careful with that but if it's the case to save some money um, I think you can do that. I mean, we have done that before and sometimes people asking that. But yeah, it, it really then comes to the athlete's profile to be to be specific and uh, tell him, well, okay, maybe in terms of heart rate, we're going to add for running three to four beats per minute or 10 beats or whatever. But yeah, probably you can do that. You can do that. Yeah, and... If you have some, if you have some experience with it, and what about swimming? That, that's more, much more difficult to test. Obviously, uh, how how do you tackle mm-hmm. that? Yeah, I mean you're right. So <laughs> swimming is very different. So um, from the other tests, um, do just classical CSS testing, and um, but beside that, I I love especially with the pros also to see how they improve over short um short distance like 50 50 meters and 100 meters with several repeats and then also on the longer ones over 60 and 800 um that's what i love to to um at um on the swimming side uh, besides just doing the, the standardized um, CSS protocol. Yeah, I, I personally, uh, just give my personal opinion on the CSS test, I, I used that for a long time, but I, I have stopped that some time ago because I think the 200 and 400 meter distances, they are so close to each other that it's as if you do a critical power test on the bike and you use, let's say, three minutes and five minutes or something, and uh, or two and a half and five minutes but you would rather use two minutes and 15 minutes or two minutes and 12 minutes so i started using 100 and 1000 for my swim testing and i find that that is much better for giving more of a strength and weaknesses profile of the athlete as well um yeah 100 percent agree and i mean we always have to keep in mind that proper testing just needs i mean it needs time to prepare right we have to take off time and um it has to be specific in all that. And we also can talk about testing with the lactate on the pool. But, I mean, handling the lactate is not that easy if you want to have really proper data. You have to look at so many things. And um, I'm not sure if it's really an add value if you're then using the lactate uh, on, on the pool side, if not everything around you. Talk about nutrition, talking about 
the offload before and all that is really 100% standardized, clean. Um, so you probably better work with just, yeah, heart rate, heart rate um, data. Yeah. Um, and w what about, are there any common mistakes that you see in testing uh, that, that that should be avoided? Like, for example, I mean, this is we don't need to beat around the bush with the fact that the different labs do things differently and not all labs are the same quality and have the same uh, precision in their protocols. And uh, and I've seen many, many tests from athletes where it's clear that their the lab has done a poor job <laughs> with how they have conducted the test. Uh, mm -hmm. are, are there any common mistakes that you would uh, recommend athletes? If, if we have listeners, for example, that are interested in going into a local lab and doing a test, they should look out for and, and yeah, things to avoid. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a it's a super question, really. Um, you know what I would say: a lot of athletes they have complete wrong expectation for outcoming datas. Um, I mean, since so many datas are available on on internet on social media, but it's exactly the point what you mentioned. But you cannot really look at the quality and this design of those data and the testing. So I think it's really important. Or we do we do explain the process and, and the test design and the tools we we using to to the client or to the athlete. So I think this is what you have to understand. And then maybe you're using a method which is different from another lab, but you understand the difference, and then you also understand maybe the different data. Does does this make sense? Um, maybe I can give an example on. Um, let's talk about body composition, um, fat percentage. If if you go on the internet or listen to podcasts or whatever, people talk about. I own those Tour de France athletes or triathletes having three to four percent body body fat, but in reality, this is not possible. This is not true. I mean, you are not alive anymore with two percent body fat. So having like seven to eight percent body fat is an extremely low 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 number so the question is what you what kind of tool you're using for for those kind of datas if you're working with dexa and you have visceral fat and subcutaneous fat i mean the right numbers seven percent eight percent is extremely low but at a tour de france or in training camp you cannot um, take your dexa with you so you're probably using caliper right um, and in with Calipra, you see much lower numbers. So people start to 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 mix that up and talking about they expect having low numbers, but then they're facing numbers from a different testing quality, um, and they getting completely confused. So I think it's important to learn to understand what's what's the testing design and, and the quality behind the testing. And I mean. Caliper is nothing bad. You, you you also can see a trend, positive or negative, with the caliper. But um, data are not hundred percent correct. So I think there's something you have to to understand when it comes to to um, testing and avoid um, wrong expectation. Yeah, I think that's a great point, and uh, I've definitely seen that. Like, what are the expectations around, for example? 
what your VO2 max should be, I think is, uh, well, FTP is a common one as well. And that's what I think why mm. some, well, tests have been developed that kind of get your FTP higher and higher. You can choose your highest number. <laughs> but uh, VO2 yeah. max, I think, suffer from the yeah. same thing that people have expectations that, yeah, if you're an upper mid-pack male triathlete, you should have a VO2 max of 60, which is absolutely not the case. But that's the expectation that that athletes have and then uh, they can be surprised when they when they go and do a, a quality test with with good equipment and, and it's not what they thought it would be yeah and as you said i mean we could do like in the lab a ramp test and you have probably different um vo2 when you want to do just a standardized test where you want to have threshold and proper fat oxidation data metabolic profile you also will face different numbers so it's a question what, what you want for for the, for the fund you're going to spend, right? So what is really the need um, of those kind of data you're looking for? Yeah. Um, we talked already about how you, you can use the testing to understand the athlete's strengths and weaknesses and their, their limiters and so on. Um, but so beyond that, are, are there any other things that you want to mention about how to apply the results from testing in the athlete's training? For example, would you... Uh, would you rely quite uh, strictly on on training zones that you set there and training targets? Uh, and there, are there any other things you want to mention about the application of testing in training? Um, well, first, I think if, if in general, just if you're testing, I mean, you need to be using the information to have an influence or an impact on on, on your training. I think there is really no point on just doing it uh, to test for social media or because other athletes doing it. So I think this is the main the main target. And then I think to be to be honest, I mean, the more inexperienced the athlete is, the more he can benefit from a proper testing. So normally, I mean, I would recommend now to do a testing for an inexperienced athlete after two to four weeks after he starts the season. And then maybe if, as you mentioned, he has the fund just doing it um, maybe um, three months, four months later, but uh, at least some weeks before the race. So he still can do some adaptation, but he can also use the data for the, for the pacing, at least on the bike, if you have a pro proper metabolic profile. And... Um, yeah, it should, it should have a consequence on what you're doing in the future. And I think it helps you to plan the next steps and see also if your plan is working. And for me as a coach, it also helps to try or to explain the athletes why, or I have to say it different. Um, I try to explain to my athletes why and when I want to test so they understand the reasons and the targets for it, not just because... not just testing because I want to test I'm going to explain them so they they feel they feel comfortable with that and um, I mean yeah with the core with the pro we have different possibilities so there we, we test at several several points in the season and gain information about the process is is going on and are we looking at specific targets you mentioned vo 2 max we want to see if it's really adapting so saying that just summarizing, I think several testings a year are, are useful, but for an age group, it's really not the main thing. But 
Very honestly, I mean, but sometimes testing can be for age group more useful than investing in expensive equipment, um, especially if they are not that familiar with their training zones or they don't have this developed body feeling. So I think it can really make more sense than ex expensive equipment. And um, from the coaching point, coaching point of view, um, it can also help to, to explain why performance at the race wasn't as expected, especially when the athletes then are disappointed with, with their performance or have before the race just unrealistic expectation, right? So it helps also just to show them why from a coaching point of view, it's it's not possible that he's riding a 445 on 180Ks. I think this is also a, a good um, help on this side. Mm, yeah. Um, a few uh, fun questions to finish off with. First, what is something that you've changed your mind about in training or in coaching in the last few years and that you now perhaps think differently about or do differently? Hmm. Um, that's that's it. That's it. Yeah, I think I, I do. I, I do. Per, I do pay much more attention when it comes to details about execution. When I started coaching with age groupers, um, I I mainly cared about the planning and the analyzing. So I thought um, creating a valuable plan was my was my job or my task. And today. Today, um, I, I really understand that when it comes to work with the pro, but also with the age group, the planning and the analyzing is probably the smallest part of my job. And um, I do regularly exchange with some some coaching friends, also uh, coaching pros. And one of them told me, before I started with the pros, he told me that when I understand the difference between writing a training plan and coaching, then you're really uh, ready for the pros. And I think um, I understand that now. But being a bit, little bit more specific on your questions, um, I, I do question a lot more about tools and gadgets that are on the market for so-called performance enhancement or measurements, um, especially when it comes to reliability. So at the beginning, when I was new in the coaching business, I thought, well, this could secure, you know, my work kind of. And today I'm a little bit disillusioned dis about the quality of those tools that are sometimes integrated into training. So normally the athletes coming up and they want to add this and that. And just to be very honest, I would say less would often be more than just using all the gadgets um, that are on the market and when you when you understand what's behind it and you see that data are not really accurate ah, it's a waste of time and money in the end yeah yeah 100 and uh is there any currently popular training fallacy that you would like to maybe just bring a different perspective to your bring or correct if you will um maybe it's not re really a fa training fallacy but I do have the impression that on middle and especially on long distance triathlon within the last years, a lot of athletes think that in intensity is, is is more important than a certain volume, partially the, the high intensity training. 
is is the holy grail. And for me, this this looks different. So for me, volume is and remains important. And, and of course, we need intensity. We talked about that before. We do intensity. It's important. But I think like a solid base of endurance and aerobic work is still still the, um, the foundation of long-distance triathlons, and there are no shortcuts for that. Yeah. What about if you, you, you mentioned you coached a junior uh, Swiss athlete training for short distance, uh, then is, it diff is your answer different, or what, do you view volume differently in that context? Absolutely, absolutely. Now I'm really talking about middle and long distance. Uh, yeah. short, short distance, completely different approach, of course, yeah. All right. Yeah. Yeah, um, and uh, if you could give three pieces of advice for listeners uh, that would help them improve their triathlon or endurance performance, what would that be? I would probably uh, learn to listen to the feedback of your body and work together with your body and not not against him. And yeah, use those data for recovery, such as resting, heart rate. Um, HRV calculates time to recover and don't try to cut off the time there. So I think this is an important um, piece. Another one about the nutrition, nutrition in general, take it very seriously, meaning before, during and after training. And um, I mean, yeah, start with training, uh, start, start to implement race nutrition as soon as possible don't wait until the last week and, and learn learn to consume a high number of carbs for the races this is this is a real game changer and that's something you have to train and to learn and it's it's not enough if you start two weeks before the before your competition and the last one will probably especially for long distance just focus on efficiency wherever you can it's all about being efficient as, as possible Perfect. Yeah, great tips. And uh, now let's do the rapid fire questions. So take just one sentence to answer each of these. And the first one is, what's your favorite book or resource related to triathlon or endurance sports? Um, favorite one, not a favorite one, but the one I'm working or reading right now is a French one called uh, Puissance et Performance en Cyclisme. It's um, from uh, the chief of performance of the Coupama FDJ pro cycling team um yeah that's the one i'm looking at it right now and just to mention another thing it's not it's not a book but i, I like the content um from from jasker jokendrup and and the look of and the look and feel how he's presenting the stuff uh, i like that very much but it's not it's not a book to read <laughs> yeah well it's, it's a resource book or resource <laughs> yeah yeah so it, it fits yeah Agreed. what's the what's what's the name of the author of that the group on fdg <laughs> Um, it's Frederick Krapp. Frederick All right. Krapp. Yeah. yeah. And what's an important habit that you have benefited from athletically, professionally, or personally? Um, just be patient and, and reliable, and then I think hard work will pay off. And finally, who's somebody that you look up to or that has inspired you? To be honest, it's not no one in particular, but I, I really and honestly, I do have big respect in coaching from people who work really hard in, in the background and don't push themselves into the spotlight, especially even if they are successful. So I think the achievements of the athlete always belong to the athlete himself. And um, as a coach, 
I think you have to accept that you're in, in second or third row, and I'm looking up to those those coaches who who handle that very well. Yeah, yeah. And uh, just to finish off, where can people find out more about you and uh, your business, uh, website, social media, and so on? Um, yeah, we we have a homepage training and diagnostic.ch um, we have an instagram channel called training and diagnostics um, i have an instagram channel by myself Rachel brandley but to be honest i'm not doing that uh, that intense i'm living more in the real world and probably also not that good on it but um, i do publish some things there about the athletes never about my family or about my personal life it's just about the business But in general, just follow my athletes, pro athletes. They will appreciate, and they publish everything on their channel. What is what is really important? Yeah, perfect. Uh, thank you so much, Rito. Uh, it's been great to chat to you. Lots of really good, interesting information. I've appreciated it a lot, and I'm sure that the listeners will enjoy. So, hope to talk to you again soon. Uh, thank you so much for the invitation, Michael. It was uh, really a pleasure and an honor to be on on your channel. I hope that you enjoyed that interview. As always, you can find the show notes on scientifictriathlon.com with links to the training and diagnostics website and Instagram. Also, we mentioned blood flow restriction training. And the latest episode I did on that was with Dr. Richard Ferguson in episode 270. So I'll link to that as well if you're interested in learning more. And uh, I found the book by uh, Frederic Grapp on uh, Amazon, the French book about cycling performance. So I have linked to that as well. If you want to take your triathlon performance to the next level or achieve whatever goals you might have in triathlon or endurance sports, then one of the best things you can do, if not the best thing, is to work with a coach. Uh, check out our coaching options on scientifictriathlon.com uh, on the coaching page. Or if coaching is not an option for you, then you can always consider working with a ready-made training plan. We have some really high-quality ready-made training plans that you can consider as well. You can read more on the website or you can always email me and we can discuss your specific goals and needs and see what's best for you. Next Monday on the podcast, I talk to Dr. Danielle Munif about heart rate decoupling and how it might relate to performance and durability characteristics in endurance athletes. Finally, big thanks to our sponsors, Precision Fuel and Hydration, that you can find on precisionfuelandhydration.com. Use their free online sweat test and quick carb calculator to understand your fluid, electrolyte, and carbohydrate needs. And book free video consultation with the team at PH to refine your hydration and nutrition strategy. Remember their new caffeine gel, the PF30 caffeine drops today. Use the code TTS22 at checkout for 15% off your first order of fueling and hydration products. And thank you to Senate. Use the Senate swim trainer to improve your technique, power, stamina, and your swim training consistency. Get 20% off your order of the swim trainer with the promo code that you can get on senatesimtrainer.com forward slash TTS. And don't forget that it's a risk-free investment. If you don't love it after two weeks, send it back and you'll get a full refund. Thank you, as always, for listening. Keep training smart and keep loving triathlons.